As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Buffalo Beat. Welcome. It is our first off-season edition of the Buffalo Beat. And I know the last time we chatted, I think everyone was in a little bit of a different headspace. I think a lot of you are probably maybe still somewhat there. But for the most part, I think... Uh, after the initial shock of what happened in Kansas City has subsided has subsided a little bit to where the offseason is starting to come into focus a little bit more. And I'm sure definitely the uh, season-ending news conferences with both Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean help things, but um, still, I'm sure it's, it's still a bit raw for everybody. But that's why we're kind of here in in this episode to help you uh, get ready for the offseason. It's a primer of sorts, um, but still one that I think is uh, is cognizant of what happened while still moving forward and, and what they inevitably decide moving forward. So there's a lot to catch up on. The last time we chatted was right after the game. Since then, the Bills have lost their offensive coordinator, They've lost their offensive line coach. They've lost their assistant quarterbacks coach. And they've also hired a new offensive coordinator, hired a new quarterbacks coach, and are in the mix for a few different names for their offensive line coach. Oh, and they've also, uh, uh, no, th- those are the those are the main, uh, the main news items throughout the coaching scene as they've gone through the senior bowl week, everything like that. So the... Obvious here is that Brian Dable went to the Giants, and in his place, Ken Dorsey is uh, is taking over, and that's really where I wanted to start off the show. Now, we're going to get into some more off-season stuff, because I think there's a good segue here from the Dorsey discussion to, uh, to what's to come in the off-season, but... Dorsey is a great place to start because he is now at the forefront of the most important piece to the Bills moving forward here. And just along with him, the Bills were able to sign 
or, or were able to sign quarterbacks coach Joe Brady, who spent the last season and a half, maybe a little bit more than a half, as the offensive coordinator of the Carolina Panthers before he was relieved of his duties. Of course, he drew a lot of acclaim for being the uh, the guy that helped bring along Joe Burrow at LSU. And certainly his first year in the NFL raised a lot of eyebrows, and he was thought to be potentially a head coaching candidate even after his one season as offensive coordinator in Carolina. Uh, the shine on that kind of wore off a little bit, but it seems like the Bills are still getting a guy who can uh, who can help in the interim here before maybe he even gets some additional opportunities. So that pairing is an interesting one to me. And the Dorsey discussion leads into the Brady discussion because I think I think there's some crossover there. Dorsey is a first-time offensive coordinator, and that needs to be the first focus of everything as we're uh, really breaking down where this hire lands for the Bills. It's also pretty significant for head coach Sean McDermott because this is now the first time since he has taken over the head coaching post for the Bills that he has hired someone to an offensive or defensive coordinator role that has not had previous experience doing the job. And that is a huge thing in itself because McDermott now feels more comfortable to where he's been in that seat for long enough to where he's willing to give these chances to people that really they would like to promote from within their own coaching staff. And that's exactly what they did with Dorsey. It shows that he's McDermott has kind of come a long way. Same thing with Dorsey, that he's come a long way since where they got him and that McDermott is comfortable uh, with, with Dorsey in this capacity because when McDermott first started off, like it was all about experience in those two big coordinator roles. Leslie Frazier was one of the first people he hired, and he's still the defensive coordinator. And the way that the head coaching searches are going, and most of them are wrapping up, it seems like they're going to have Leslie Frazier next year, uh, unless, you know, someone, some team really comes into the last minute. But the, the noise around Leslie Frazier's name with head coaching openings has kind of quieted since the Giants went with Dable and since Chicago uh, went with Matt Eberflus from Indianapolis. Those were his really his main two, but yeah, it, it seems like now, now the Bills can kind of move forward with Frazier as their defensive coordinator, even though he probably should have gotten his chance. So that was one of McDermott's first hires. That He hired Rick Dennison, who had pre previous offensive coordinator um, experience, same thing with Brian Dable. So now Dorsey gets a chance. And that's where the first wonder for me uh, kind of comes into the equation. These are two guys that know each other, right? I mean, McDermott had Dorsey um, in Buffalo since 2019. They really liked what he was doing with Josh Allen over the first two seasons uh, to the point where they gave him an additional responsibility and made him the passing game coordinator uh, in 2021, which certainly, which I, I would say added to 
the benefit of having him be the offensive coordinator. It also helps that Josh Allen was the biggest Ken Dorsey advocate <laughs> throughout the entire the entire discussion. Um, he made it well known, both publicly and privately, that he would like Ken Dorsey to be the offensive coordinator of the Bills, and the uh, and the Bills obliged after going through interviews. Um, they made Ken Dorsey their guy. So McDermott has familiarity with Dorsey even before the um, before the whole Bills. Uh, before he hired the Bills to the court, before he hired Dorsey to the Bills opening as the quarterbacks coach in 2019, McDermott saw Dorsey come through the coaching ranks in Carolina. The two were there for four seasons, um, from 2013 to 2016, right up to the point in which McDermott left to become the head coach of the Bills. Obviously, the uh, Brandon Bean was very comfortable with who Ken Dorsey is and and his coaching acumen. So there's a lot of uh, knowledge based on who this guy is. It's not like they're just hiring some uh, hotshot quarterbacks coach from a different organization, which isn't like a bad idea. But by hiring Dorsey, they know what they're getting from a work ethic perspective. They know what they're getting from an ideological perspective. And it's something more of a controllable than what they had, uh, than what they would have had if they went outside the organization, and I think that's important, especially looking into the the short term here, because the Bills have an incredible opportunity. Even though they fell short in Kansas City, obviously they had a great team and one that would have factored into the uh, the Super Bowl mix had they gotten past Kansas City. I think. Um, you know, you never know because Cincinnati played a great game, but you know, it's, I think, I think a lot of people are going to look at this specific team in 2021 and think about what could have been if they got past Kansas city. But even though that team is now a thing of the past, 2022 has a similar opportunity because now the salary cap is starting to round back into form. The Bills do have some increased costs on some of their players, like Josh Allen and Tremaine Edmonds, to name a couple. Um, There's some other examples of of players that are seeing their cap hits rise uh, from what they were in 2021. And so it's natural that they're not going to be able to keep everyone. But what is very evident about the 2022 cap structure with the increasing cap It is the last opportunity for the Bills to operate with a uh, a cap structure that does not have a bloated quarterback hit eating up a ton of the percentage of the cap space. And it affords them the opportunity to be able to build around Allen a lot more in 2022 than they'll have the flexibility to do so in future years. Like you just look at his cap breakdown, his upcoming cap hit from where it was in 2021, it was around 10, a little over 10 million in 2021. It goes up to 16.4 million in 2022, which is an increase, a a significant one, but not backbreaking 
for having a franchise quarterback and one who's playing as well as Allen is right now. After 2022, that's when his cap hits go absolutely bonkers. 2023, it'll be just a shade under 40 million. 2024, almost 42 million. 2025, 51 million. In 2026, 47 million. And then in 2027, 40 million. And then in 2028, a little under 42 million. So as you can see, this is really, uh, this 2022 season is really the last one where the Bills have all of this flexibility and an increasing salary cap amount to where they can still have a somewhat as talented roster as they did in 2021 and even build on it a little bit more. So one of the things that they can control in this situation is knowing how the offense is going to be in such a pivotal year, which I'm assuming they probably are thinking, okay, Super Bowl window still very prevalent into their thinking because of Allen's cap hit and not having to make a lot of difficult decisions. Basically, all of their defense is back with the exception of uh, uh, Levi Wallace and Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison. Harrison Phillips, they're going to have to try and figure out, but I think they'll they'll probably want to do that. And then on the offensive side of things, they still have Stefan Diggs, they still have Gabriel Davis, and they still have Cole Beasley under contract. They still have Dawson Knox. They still have Devin Singletary. And they have almost all of their starting five offensive linemen from down the stretch of the season signed to a contract or in Ryan Bates case, he's a restricted free agent. So they still have a lot working for them, even though the depth of the team might be the thing to take a hit uh, in 2022 as they have to make some decisions. But that's why Dorsey is so appealing right now because they know what they're getting. And because they know what they're getting and they know his mind and they know that the working relationship between Dorsey and Allen is so good that to them, they're hoping for somewhat of a seamless transition. Now, obviously, there's going to be some bumps along the way with play calling. It's going to be the first time he's play calling in the confines of an NFL game because that was Dayball's job and he did a great job with it for the most part. And there's other questions that arise from it, but all the same, Dorsey being the guy that Allen is turning to and and knowing that Allen trusts him no matter what in such a pivotal year, huge, absolutely huge, which is why it was he seemed like a shoe-in for the job as soon as Dable took the job to be the Giants head coach. Now, the the only question that I have is just because of we don't know this about McDermott based on the fact that he's never had a first-time offensive or defensive coordinator before. So how much autonomy is he going to give to Dorsey with the offense? Like, is I'm assuming the way that it has been with Dable, the way that it was with Rick Dennison, I'm assuming that that's how it's going to be with Ken Dorsey because they know and trust him as, as much as they do. But that said... It's still one of those unknowns that you have to mention just in just in passing because 
It's We know a lot about McDermott, and we know a lot about he, how he operates. We know a lot about how he's evolved over his five seasons as the Bills head coach. And so now we just have to figure out um, if he's comfortable with, uh, with giving complete control to that side of the ball to someone who has never done it in that role before. I would assume so because someone took that chance on him, but, you know, we just have to see it first and foremost. Now, this brings us to the Joe Brady thing, because I think what made Brady so appealing to the Bills to be the quarterback's coach is not only from a principal's perspective, because they they get to uh, bring in a guy who, you know, might have a little bit of a different take on offense, could build in some some different passing principles uh, that maybe Dorsey and Dable didn't have in the playbook last year. And so that helps. Um, cer- certainly you get the uh, the uh, rapport with good quarterback play that Brady had with uh, Joe Burrow in LSU. And then in the early stages, at least before he kind of hit a wall, uh, Sam Darnold in, in Carolina. So Brady gets a chance to kind of, you know, scale his responsibility responsibilities back and move on and try and figure out who he's going to be as a quarterback's coach as he tries to kind of repair what happened in Carolina. And a great way to do it is hooking on with, with a team that has a top-tier quarterback like the Bills and that can afford him future opportunities. I'm kind of looking at the Joe Brady hire as a couple of different things. One, an insurance policy. Uh, and the the name I'm, I come back to is... I kind of think Joe Brady is to the coaching staff in 2022 as Mitchell Trubisky was to the quarterback room in 2021. Now stay with me here. Trubisky, to me, represented insurance, right? Because if Allen went down, obviously they needed a better a better quarterback option. But also, they kind of knew that Trubisky would not be long for Buffalo. Because he's a name, has a lot of starting experience, and you knew in a quarterback-hungry league that probably, it hasn't happened yet, but probably he's going to get an opportunity to potentially start in 2022 and definitely have a bigger payday um, this offseason than he had in the last year. So Trubisky just kind of had like a, a year to refresh himself. I kind of think that's what Brady is for this coaching staff this year. Now, there's certainly a chance where, and an outcome where Joe Brady um, just loves his role in Buffalo and and stays, but with how quickly he took the job going from LSU to Carolina, you would have to think that if he gets another opportunity to become an offensive coordinator um, somewhere else with after working for a year with Josh Allen that he would probably jump at that chance. So that's that's part of the Trubisky thing. The other part of it is an insurance policy because Dorsey is going to be a coordinator for the first time. And so it's an insurance policy not only because you have someone that Dorsey can turn to that uh, has been in that chair before and can help him uh, through maybe some game day stuff that he wasn't necessarily anticipating, 
you know, just drawing on the experience of a year, year and a half of being an offensive coordinator and a young one at that, a first time NFL offensive coordinator. The other part is the, if it doesn't go well for Dorsey. And now this is the part where I'm sure the Bills don't believe it's going to happen, but you like to have insurance policies just in case. So let's say Dorsey is not a hit and it's not really going all that well for him. The Bills under McDermott and Bean have not been ones to be really, um, they're not really ones that like to change things with the snap of a finger. They more so like to see what they have in the guys, but this is also an organization that moved on from Rick Dennison after only one season. So I think there's an an ounce of insurance policy here to where if Dorsey, if they don't see the things that they want to see from Dorsey in his first year of play calling, it's always the potential of Joe Brady potentially filling that role. Um, in 2023 and beyond but that's that's way down the line but it all kind of factors into the discussion more so than anything when McDermott was hired to be the head coach he brought in coordinators with experience and one of them had head coaching experience that he could help draw on that might be part of the thinking with Dorsey who um, is in that chair for the first time and can draw on the experiences of Joe Brady so that's why that hire was so important The other piece to the Dorsey puzzle that I think is interesting is how things are going to look with the offensive line. And because the Bills actually have a lot of decisions to make coming up in this offseason. You know, what will this blocking scheme be? What are they going to favor? Which, and it all really all depends what they're most comfortable with. Because if they go with the same five, as they had at the end of last season, which was from left to right, Deion Dawkins, Ryan Bates, Mitch Moore, Daryl Williams, and Spencer Brown, then you would have to think that they go with a blocking scheme that highlights athleticism rather than a mauling power-based team. A lot of that, you know, the mauling power-based stuff, like Bobby Johnson had a, had a certain amount um, with that, and, you know, that's kind of been his style a bit. And we saw them draft a bunch of players with that thinking. We saw them assign some players with with that had that profile. But the way that the team was kind of gelling together last year, uh, you do wonder if maybe you see more of those pin and pull principles and zone blocking stuff, where you're you're getting a little bit more athleticism to the positions than than what they had previously. So that's going to be a big determinant. Like what Dorsey values there and what they want to hire in an offensive line coach will be pretty telling as to how they operate in the offseason. Because not only do they have to try and, um, well, they need to tender a contract to Ryan Bates, who's a restricted free agent. They also have to decide on four key guys here that can give them some legitimate cap savings. Mitch Morse is one of them, and he's more of the athletic, uh, you know, he, he really shines when he's able to get out in front of some blocks and 
and really try and punish people in space. He's an excellent pass blocker. So he's really got that working for him. Had a great season last year as a pass blocker. So I don't think that they wouldn't want to move on from him, even though they could save a bunch. But, you know, that's that's kind of where this blocking scheme comes into play here. Because if they go with the more more of a blocking scheme that is suited to what Morse does best, then that brings into question the other three guys. Daryl Williams, who started uh, started a bunch, started at right tackle. They had to move him inside because it didn't go great, and Spencer Brown played well enough to keep that job on the outside. But he's more of a power-based player than, um, say, a lot of the other guys along the offensive line. Cody Ford is another piece to this who lost his starting job, more of a power mauling type, um, but they can save a little bit of money if they were to move on from him. John Feliciano is another one who is a Bobby Johnson guy through and through. You'd have to think that that could be a, uh, that could be an avenue where they can save money because, you know, we'll, we'll get into this um, in the next segment, but when you look at the the type of money that they can save on Feliciano, it makes a lot of sense for a player that, you know, dropped out from starting consideration at the end of the year, and then they can save over $3 million by moving on. And he's more of that powerful player, and he's he's been with Bobby Johnson for a long, long time. So Dorsey's decision on that blocking scheme will influence not only who they keep or who they're who they're trying to target in the draft and in free agency if they if they go that route but also in who they keep for their roster from what they have right now so a lot a lot to consider with Ken Dorsey but all in all the Bills made the move that they needed to I think and one that um, will be fascinating to track a first-time coordinator and how exactly it goes along in such a pivotal year for them um, that could, what they hope, end up with uh, a bid to the Super Bowl and after falling short for for two straight years here. All right, so when we get back from the break, we'll go over some of these cap decisions because um, it's a huge piece to the offseason and there's some clues based on things that Brandon Bean said, things that some other people said, that the Bills do want to have some cap flexibility this year. So we'll go over all that in, uh, in, in just a bit. But before that, we'll, uh, we'll hit you with one short break. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. 
All right, so the cap discussion is the one that I think a lot of people are going to be trying to dissect as we get closer to the start of the new league year. Um, about a week and a half into March is when is when it's set for. Actually, I think March 16th is the exact, so halfway through March. So the Bills right now, and there's... When you bring up the cap, you always have to wonder, okay, where do they stand at the current moment? How can they find the flexibility? Because they were up against it, basically, this entire last offseason. They had a lot of things go their way. A lot of guys take some uh, take some below-market deals and others that, you know, they didn't really have to move on from a ton last year. And that was a big thing, even though the cap last year was $182.5 million. In 2022, the salary cap is projected to go up to $208.2 million. So when you factor in that and the amount that the bills are rolling over and, you know, where their, where their cap hits currently sit, and how much money that they already owe in dead money to uh, to the 2022 salary cap. Right now, the Bills are over the 22 salary cap. So not a great starting point, but that is where it leads us to the next part of the discussion. Because right now, they, they have they're about $1.2 million over uh, the 2022 salary cap from you know what the numbers that we look at from over the cap and the rollover cap amount from the NFLPA daily report. Uh, so all of these, uh, all of these different sources here, it leads us to the bills being basically right up on it. And none of these are exact figures, by the way. I mean, you know, I'm sure there's some little nooks and crannies that we're not privy to. But when you hear Brandon Bean in his, uh, in his, uh, season-ending news conference. You think to yourself, okay, well, the Bills are probably going to do some maneuvering here. And the one thing he said that really kind of stood out to me was, he said, we'll have to make some moves. And then said, I wouldn't see us being like big spenders or anything like that, but we'll look to fill some spots from the outside as well as retain some of our guys. So there are three key elements to, to the quote. Some moves is pretty indicative of them needing to clear some cap space. And then saying that they would like to fill in or will look into filling some spots from the outside, which means either via trade or more, more than likely a through free agency, and retain some of their own guys, which is their unrestricted and restricted free agents that are due for new contracts that don't currently count for anything towards the 2022 cap. The only way to accomplish all of those things when they literally do not have cap space right now is by moving on and doing some restructures, pay cuts, everything like that. They're going to have to maybe get a little creative, but there are some legitimate options to move on from. And, you know, I outlined a bunch of them over at the athletic. You can check that out right now. Um, it, if you head over to theathletic.com slash the Buffalo Beat, you can get a subscription on, you can get a discount on your yearly subscription. But there are quite a few names that are both realistic 
and that can save the Bills legitimate money if they were to move on from them. And the ones we kind of touched on, the offensive line, I think, will have the biggest say in all of this. I think, honestly, that they stay with Mitch Morse. You know, he's his cap savings are $8.5 million, which is a ton, but I think he's worth what what they would keep him for. He played really well, and especially if they, they go forward with sort of the athletic brand of um, offensive line play, then I think Morse really fits in well to that. And he's a good leader in the locker room. You know, they, they he really he really covered up a lot for kind of a rotating cast of guards throughout the season. So I think he's worth it to keep, even though, you know, the, the potential cap savings are just so good. If you would have asked me a year ago if that if whether or not Mitch Morse would be back for the 2022 season, probably thinking, eh, probably not, just because different blocking scheme. You know, didn't have as good of a season in 2020 as 2021. It's just interesting how things change. And they definitely do not want to mess with anything related to Josh Allen. So I think Morse is probably good. But the offensive line in general is where it starts. Because you've got Daryl Williams, who you could save potentially $6.3 million from the 2022 cap. There's John Feliciano, which you can save... 3.4 3.4 million on the 2022 salary cap and Cody Ford, which you can save $1.5 million. So that's round about 10 mil, maybe 11 mil on, on the offensive line that you can save right there. I think Feliciano is one of the safest bets to, to move on just because it doesn't really fit their, their scheme fell out of the starting lineup situation was more of a Bobby Johnson guy. I would not at all be surprised, and neither should you, if he winds up as a starting offensive lineman for the New York Giants in 2022. I think that is a a pretty solid um, landing spot, considering Johnson is there, Dable's there, and it would probably be a blocking scheme that is closer to what he's he's uh, into. And then Ford is an interesting one, just because like it's not a ton of money that you're saving. And if you can get something by trading him, then then you get both the, the cap savings and like a late round pick for him. So that would be worth it. But I don't know if Bean would outright be willing to move on without letting him see either A, getting some sort of compensation for it, or B, seeing if there's still something there in the summer. And if not than trying to trade him again in the summer. So I don't think that that's imminent with Cody Ford. The The more interesting discussion, I think, is Daryl Williams. Because, you know, this is a guy that they thought a lot of in 2020 as a right tackle that they resigned to a pretty sizable contract extension. His cap hit for the coming year is just a shade under $10 million. And but his dead money is pretty low, and I do wonder how they're going to approach this one. Now, there's two schools of thought here because normally the bills do not allocate a ton of resources like that, not not like 10 million dollars to the guard position, like they'll do medium 
contracts to the guards, like, you know, three, four, five million, but not getting to the 10 million range. When they signed Daryl Williams to that contract, they thought to themselves that they were getting a right tackle for 2021. And it turned out that what he did in the previous season was not something that carried over into this into 2021. Williams really struggled with speed to the edge, a lot more so than he did in, in the prior season. And you just have to wonder if maybe it was a one-year thing, contract year, and and maybe they they thought, oh wow, well, we have this this uh, position ready to go with this guy that uh, is able to um, is able to lock in that spot while they develop a guy in Spencer Brown in the background. But it didn't work out that way, as as we well know. Williams had to move inside to guard. He was much better at guard. But is it worth $10 million? That's kind of the crux of the situation. The other way to look at it is they really value camaraderie highly. And especially along the offensive line. And if they thought to themselves, okay, well, Williams may be not may not be a perfect fit for more of an athletic zone blocking pin and pull sort of system. But he was a piece of the puzzle last year that was really successful down the stretch of the season. Basically, they have to decide whether or not those final five games are something that they want to invest in. And if that's the case, then that's a pretty strong argument for for keeping Daryl Williams. You can justify it by saying, okay, well, they're allocating $10 million to this guard position, but that's only because at right tackle, they have Spencer Brown signed to a cost-controlled rookie deal for the next three seasons. So they could easily justify that. But it really comes down to how much they want to invest in in the final stretch of this offensive line. And if Williams is a fit moving forward. Because if he's not, and if they still have questions about him, saving over $6 million on the 2022 cap is substantial. Especially when you're trying to re-sign guys like Levi Wallace, Harrison Phillips, Ryan Bates, who I would argue is is probably more um, valuable than Williams in in a more athletic scheme. So I understand. Yeah, it's there's there's kind of a give and take here. But when you're trying to handle all of these diff- different situations, you kind of wonder if maybe they have to choose one between Morse and Williams. I don't know if that's exactly the case. Like, they can get creative and, and create cap space in other ways. But I also think last offseason was kind of an anomaly in how Brandon Bean used all of these different tools to create cap space and, you know, a severe decrease in how much each team could spend. Like, he did void years. He did um, he did a lot of restructures, did a lot of conversions of... of, um, of base salaries and assigning bonuses. I think he would be okay with 
converting some base salaries into signing bonuses to help them on some of their longer contracts. But he's not really the type that wants to kick the can down the road all that much to where these void years, I don't really think he loves doing the whole void year thing because now this year in 2022, he's got um, cap hits for Mario Addison and Emmanuel Sanders hitting his cap. And those players are not signed to play for the Bills this upcoming season. So there's a give and take. Short-term relief and having to feel the wrath of that in, in a future year. And I don't think that he wants to do complete restructures of, of all of these different contracts. I think he would much rather just want to play it straight up is, is kind of how he's played it before. So one of two things could happen here with, with Williams. I mean, they could, one of three, I should say, I should say they could, you know, keep them and just say, okay, we're going to go with the five that, that ended the year and try and figure it out and see if that can stick. Or they can release Williams, try and fill from within, or draft a starting guard. Because, you know, as offensive line positions go, filling a guard role is a bit of an easier task than it is filling center or tackle with a first-year player. And we've seen a lot of successful stories around the league of teams that are spending second, third, fourth round picks on interior linemen that end up having a really nice impact on their team. So that's a way to play it. Or they could say, all right, Daryl, we like you and we want you to stay, but need that cap hit to come down and need, because you're a guard now, and this is not guard money. And Williams might be in a spot where he goes, okay, well, am I going to get this money elsewhere? To where, you know, maybe the Bills guarantee his base salary a bit more, bring the cap hit down by, you know, two to three million, something like that. And that way they kind of, kind of get the best of both worlds. So there is a way. It just all depends on which track they want to take. But Williams, I think, is a is a key to this offseason, what they end up doing there. Because the rest of it will kind of define how they go about the rest of their business. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. That brings us to some other positions, like 
Um, Cole Beasley is someone that I think a lot of uh, fans are wondering if he's going to be back. And he's on the final year of his deal. He's going to be 33 uh, at Bean's season-ending news conference. Uh, he said that he would anticipate Cole being back next year. But there's some wiggle room in that statement, right? Like, at first it sounds, oh, yeah, that's uh, he's going to be back. And he still probably will be. But he left himself some wiggle room, I think, for a couple of different reasons. One, you know, at 33, that's the kind of age that players start to think about retirement. And he also kind of said in the answer that he hasn't um, had discussions with Cole just yet, which I think for... You know, players that are up there in age, I think it's important to kind of know what you're into, and that's why he kind of left himself an out there. The other reason is the uh, if they wanted to, say, bring him back but on a pay cut, there's two things that would need to happen. One, the player would need to agree to it, and if he doesn't, then you know you want to give yourself the wiggle room to cut him rather than going back on completely back on what you said uh, back in January. The Bills, I think, want Beasley around because he's still a really good player against zone coverage. But, you know, as I've pointed out on this podcast for a while, against man coverage hasn't been as effective as he was in the past. And you can also tell by his run-after-catch averages and how they've gone down since his first year in Buffalo. His first year, he was averaging nearly five yards um yards after catch per reception. Then in 2020, it went down by over half a yard, went down to 4.3 yards. And then in 2021, it was down more than a full yard from where it was in 2019. So in 2019, it was 4.93 yards after the catch per reception. In 2021, it was 3.72 yards after catch per reception. That's significant, and it shows kind of declining movement skills, but he's still a good asset because against zone coverage and on third downs and when they, when they need a big play in those spots, he can be successful, and we saw that against Kansas City. Down the stretch, he was out there constantly against the Chiefs. It's just a matter of how much that that's worth it to the Bills because his cap hit is just below eight million. It's at seven point six million. They can save six point one million by releasing him, and they're then try and figure out um, what the wide receiver room is going to look like. Because remember, McKenzie is a free agent. Manuel Sanders is a free agent. Jake Kumro is a free agent. The only guys that they have signed right now are Stefan Diggs, Cole Beasley, who we're talking about. Gabriel Davis, Tanner Gentry, Isaiah Hodgins, and Marquez Stevenson. And that's, you know, a solid receiver room. But it would look a lot worse if Beasley wasn't there. They just have to figure out that situation. And But if they did cut him, $6.1 million in savings, a lot in the same conversation as Daryl Williams. Like, that's that's potentially re-signing Harrison Phillips right there. That's being in the ballpark to potentially re-sign Levi Wallace. Wallace is going to make a pretty good sum of money on the open market, I think. Not like crazy, but 
I would not be shocked if he's in the seven, eight, nine, ten million per year range. He they they had him on a steal of a contract last year, and that was part of the things that that went in their favor in offseason last year. This is one of the, going to be the rare opportunities where he has a chance to really get paid, and you know, it, it's I think it's going to be difficult for the Bills to get him back. Not ruling it out, but it's gonna it's gonna be tough. So they have to kind of decide what they want here. Do they want an, a 33-year-old receiver that's kind of declining a bit, or do they want to invest in some of the guys that they want to retain? That's it's kind of two different doors. There are some other uh, players that are a, a bit more of a slam dunk, um, I think, that are likelier to be released. A.J. Klein's one of them. Uh, they can save $5.2 million there. Really didn't have a defensive role this year. Was only a part-time special teams player. Just a bit of a luxury player, especially when they're paying Milano and Edmonds so much. So I think he's probably gone, and I wouldn't be surprised if they try and re-sign him to a smaller contract uh, later in the offseason. The other ones are, I mentioned Feliciano. Um, Matt Hawk, I think, is one that is a pretty safe bet just because he's got a deciding day in his contract to where on March 18th, according to Spotrack, uh, 1.3 million in guarantees lock in for 2022. And if they cut him before that, they can save 1.2 million. And, you know, with Bean thinking that uh, he was a bit inconsistent, I think that seems like a pretty safe bet for them to uh, try and figure something else out. There's some questionable ones like Tyler Matakevich, who is a key special teams player, but he's accounting for over $3 million on the cap as a special teams only guy. They could save $2.5 million by cutting him. So that, to me, that might be a bit of a luxury when you're trying to build your offense and defense up a bit. Um, and then the other one that I think is really interesting is Star Latulale. Because... You know, when I wrote the article that I did, I was using figures from OverTheCap.com, who do a great job, that showed him. And this um, coordinates with some of the the documents that I saw after his initial renegotiation and after he opted out, that he would they would potentially save four million by cutting him in 2022. Now. Like the day after I posted the article, Over the Cap updated their Latulale page to where 2.5 million is guaranteed in 2022. Now, what that means is that it ups the the dead money if they were to cut him, and reduces the potential savings down to around 1.5 million. And while it you know it's it's significant enough to change a decision, so maybe rather than outright cutting him and only saving a million and a half, maybe they go, okay, we'll lock you in, but reduce your your cap hit. You reduce your base salary by two million. We'll guarantee the rest and and then can go about your business that way. Because right now, Latulale is a he's a backup player and he's getting near the end of his career. So they could probably have their cake and eat it too here. Get it, save like maybe two million, keep Latulale on the roster for depth, and not have to make a painful decision about someone that they really like with 
as a person, as a, you know, kind of a quiet leader in the locker room, things like that. But that two and a half million guaranteed is significant. So if he doesn't agree to it, they can always cut Latula, save the mill and a half, and um, that's still possible. But it's the first time that the Bills can get out from Latula's deal and save some money on the cap. I would say that if he is back next year, or this is probably going to be the last season for Latula in Buffalo because they can save over six million, I think it is, um, in 2023. So it, either way, it seems like that's that's kind of the way this is going. But he could be back next year, and it looked more of a a doable thing before that two and a half million kind of locked in there. I'm still kind of checking into it, but. You know, I trust overthecap.com. They do a great job, and uh, I'm sure they have a reason why why it guaranteed the way that it did. So that changes the Latule discussion just a little bit. But as you can see, there's a lot of different avenues here, and the biggest point of the discussion is the Bills are going to have to do some stuff to be able to have that flexibility that they were talking about. And I found it even interesting listening to Joe Shane's introductory press conference with the New York Giants. Like he, uh, he was asked about you know how prepared he is and and what he was doing with the Bills, and he said most recently he was working towards free agency and said, "quote We were going to have some money over there," meaning Buffalo. And like I said before, the only way that they're having money is if. The Bills are cutting players. The Bills are getting players to agree to pay cuts or they're restructuring contracts. There's some other options too. Like they can, they can, I mean, there's there's guys on their roster that they're not going to cut that could save them money. Like Stefan Diggs, Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde, stuff like that. They're, those guys are here. One thing that they could do is they can agree to a new deal with Stefan Diggs get him more in the ballpark of what the top tier wide receivers are paid and in the process reduce his cap hit in 2021. I'm sorry, 2022. So that way they're getting him paid. They give themselves some relief and they're, they're able to build the team up around Allen and Diggs a bit more. So that's one way to do it. You know, they have the option to convert, base salary into signing bonus with guys like Micah Hyde and Deion Dawkins. Those things are available to them. But I think those are probably things that they would rather avoid, especially since Allen's cap hit are going straight up <laughs> in 2023. Like 40 million, going from 16 million to 40 million from one year to the next is a huge jump. That is $24 million. That is probably four to five uh, middle tier players. That's a lot. A lot that you're sacrificing to have a franchise quarterback on your team. So that's why I don't think he wants to kick the can down the road in every single situation. But there are options. So hopefully this was a good primer about maybe what to expect in the next month coming up here um a lot to chew on obviously because the bills are going to have to do some work and figure out what is important to them 
what type of offensive line scheme, blocking scheme that they're going to have moving forward, and really what this whole operation is going to look like, and what really they favor out of players, because you know we could see not a huge amount of turnover, but a you know fairly significant one, where a lot of guys were like, oh, this guy was here for two to three years, where they they may be moving up. So a lot to chew on there. But like I said, you can go check out all of that at uh, theathletic.com and go to theathletic.com slash the Buffalo Beat for a uh, discount on your yearly subscription. I would advise you do it because we're getting closer to draft season, getting closer to free agency. Off season is always like one of my favorite times because, you know, early on in my career, I was a big draft guy. I still love the draft as, uh, uh, even though, you know, I draw on some of the expertise of Dane Brugler with with the draft now but i still do my homework on all of these prospects too um i'll be writing a bunch of articles about you know what to look for in free agency you know really trying to close the chapter on the 2021 season and and figuring out uh, where they could pivot at certain positions and what they might value uh, certainly how specific draft prospects could fit the bills after after i go through and watch a bunch of them and Obviously, all the draft content you can handle because Dane Brugler does an awesome job. And you, by subscribing to The Athletic, you get access to The Beast, which is like <laughs> a ridiculous amount of work. Uh, he ends up doing like hundreds of pages of a draft um, preview that is as in-depth as anything you will find anywhere on all of these draft prospects. And you get access to that just by subscribing to The Athletic. So really worth it and then you get basically everything every other coverage of every other sport and team around the country too a lot of good stuff in there but the off season like that's really one one of my favorite times where i'm like hey you guys should really subscribe right now because uh, you're gonna get your bang for your buck here all right so i think that's gonna do it for me i've been jabbering long enough um this off season is gonna be a fun one and I am very much looking forward to breaking it down all with you guys. And again, thanks to all of you for listening throughout the season. And we're going to have a lot of fun heading into the offseason here. Going to have some cool discussions with with uh, some other reporters as we kind of march forward here. But I wanted to at least set the table of what to expect uh, in, in the offseason and, and where the bills are going. For all right. So that'll do it for me. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Buffalo Beat. And uh, we will talk to you later on this month. See you then.